Welcome to Chemical Reactions. This is the first in a series of podcasts produced by Rud Pedersen Public Affairs in Brussels, in which we consider the future of European chemicals policy and the sustainability strategy that's being talked about. I'm Chris Davis, a senior advisor with Rud Pedersen and a long-standing former member of the European Parliament's Environment Committee. My guest today is a real expert. It's Bob Diderich, head of the chemicals division at the OECD the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, based in Paris. The background to our discussion is the so-called Green Deal, with the European Commission promising to present a strategy for sustainability that will help to protect people and the environment from hazardous chemicals and encourage innovation to develop safer alternatives. Now, of course, some of us think that's what the chemical strategy that we adopted back in 2007 was supposed to achieve. But we'll explore the issues now. Bob, can we start off by putting this in context? The sale of European chemical substances is said to be worth more than 500 billion euros every year. But how many chemical substances are actually being manufactured in Europe? How many have to be regulated? Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on your podcast. The question you're asking is quite complex. There are certainly on the European market uh, probably more than 100,000 chemicals. Many of those are uh, probably just laboratory chemicals, so they are used in very, very small quantities in restricted settings. If you look at uh, uh, the number of chemicals that uh, have been registered under REACH, there's something around 20,000. So these are produced or imported at more than uh, one ton per year. So 100,000 chemicals. But but what matters, as you as you indicate, is uh, how many really are of concern possibly to human health and the environment. How many are hazardous? I don't have know the, the latest statistics, but if, if you just look at uh, the amount of fraction of those which are classified as hazardous according to the globally harmonized system for classification and labeling, it's probably more than a half. Right, what, 50,000? 50,000 potentially hazardous chemicals out there. I mean, if you're an environmentalist wanting to cause a, an outcry, that's a, that's a huge figure. Yes, it it is. But um, on the other hand, the globally harmonized system for classification and labeling was designed to cover all possible types of hazards. So many of those chemicals uh, may just have one one hazard classification, whereas there are some some chemicals which have a a series of hazards associated to them. So I suppose hazardous doesn't necessarily mean harmful. It's a matter of how the products, uh, the substances are actually being controlled. Well, that's the usual discussion between hazard and risk. I mean, uh, there's many chemicals which present certain hazards, which are handled in a way that uh, these hazards don't, don't, don't have an adverse effect on, on health or the environment. So they don't present a risk. That is the whole objective of most chemical safety legislations uh, around the world. You have on the one side... You make sure that those uh, chemicals which have hazardous chemicals, they're labeled accordingly, they're classified accordingly. And then out of those, you need to find out which ones have a high potential for actually expressing those hazards and causing adverse effects on on human health and uh, and the environment, which need to be regulated. And I'm not sure there's any good prediction of what the fraction of chemicals are that need to be regulated beyond uh, what they are regulated now, but it's probably more in in the area of uh, 5 to 10 percent. Well, that helps bring down the numbers, but but those numbers must present real problems for regulators and simply to keep on track of everything. It's a logistical, organizational matter. 
Yes, that is the big problem that all regulators are facing right now, is how to assess the risks and determine which of those chemicals need to be regulated further than, than what they are until now. All countries have their priority mechanisms to find out which chemicals they need to look at first and then do the risk assessment and then uh, determine what uh, additional risk management measures are, are necessary. That is a process which is very slow, very costly. Uh, risk assessments are complex procedures that take a lot of resources to implement. So most countries have trouble keeping up. It used to be uh, under the old uh, European uh, existing chemicals regulation, about 20 chemicals per year were assessed. That is why uh, the, the REACH regulation was put into place to, to increase that pace and also to make sure that those chemicals which were not being assessed were also being assessed by, uh, by industry itself so that a larger fraction of the chemicals which are on the market are better assessed. Well, you mentioned REACH, which is the European Union's regulatory uh, instruments that stands for Registration, Evaluation and Authorization of Chemicals. And the European Union administers the system through the chemicals agency, which it has based in Helsinki. But there's hardly any mention here in the legislation of the OECD. And yet, as I understand it, your work is absolutely vital. It underpins the work of the, of the chemicals agency in Europe. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason is reasonably uh, simple. The work of the OECD is about regulatory implementation. So the, what we're doing is we're developing together with all the, the member countries technical tools for policy implementation. So, for example, we developed uh, the methods for testing the safety of chemicals. We develop guidance on how to do risk assessment. We develop standards for uh, exchanges of information between countries, so that in, in the end, you all use the same tools for policy implementation so that the work done in one country can be reused by uh, another country. So there's two reasons why we don't appear too much in legislative texts in Europe or, or other countries. The first reason is that we're really about uh, technical implementation rather than policy making. So there's really no need to mention us in, in the high level legislative texts. And the other reason is that anything that looks like the implementation of the legislation will depend on international cooperation. It's not, not always well seen by uh, parliaments uh, around the world who uh, expect that uh, the country itself does all the work uh, and implements uh, the legislation itself without having to wait for international uh, collaboration or international harmonization. Having said that, the OECD does start to appear more and more in, in legislative texts. For example, EU test method regulation, which used to uh, have its own methods, which were copy-paste of OECD methods, but now they're moving towards just uh, referencing the uh, OECD methods. Of course, the OECD doesn't include some of the world's major players. In fact, it doesn't include China, which, of course, is the, now the world's largest manufacturer of chemicals. But does China apply OECD standards? We have been collaborating with uh, China for many years now, and we are working with China to uh, encourage them to adhere to some of the legal instruments that the OECD has uh, developed, especially the legal instrument on mutual acceptance of data, uh, which implies the use of uh, OECD principles of good laboratory practice and OECD test guidelines. Uh, having said that, we know from experience that uh, China does 
apply uh, many of the uh, standards being developed at the OECD. Let's look at some of the practicalities. The European Union's chemicals agency employs, I think, about 600 people. How big is your division? My division obviously is much smaller. We are operating with about uh, 25 to 30 people. But uh, one of the particularities of my division is that the work is actually not so much done by my colleagues in my division, the work of developing the standards, uh, I mean, it, it is actually done mostly in countries. So countries are proposing to develop uh, new standards or updating existing standards. They do all the preparatory work. Once the preparatory work is done, they come to us with the project, with the draft standard, uh, and we take over and take care of the process to establish consensus until everybody agrees. How much international collaboration is there between national regulatory authorities? Beyond the OECD, the countries that are emerging, our countries like uh, India, Indonesia, Brazil, Argentina, Malaysia, and, and others, we managed to uh, bring them into the game. They are now uh, full adherence to the OECD system of, uh, of mutual acceptance uh, of data. I hear what you say, and obviously what you want to do is ensure that regulation is applied equally and effectively everywhere. But I have to be a bit cynical here and say, I just can't believe it happens. I'm sure there are huge differences in interpretation and application in different countries. It's, it's unavoidable. When it comes to uh, performing test uh, results and to accepting test results between countries, there, there is a, a legal obligation between OECD countries as well as those that have adhered to the system. At the next level, you have guidance for interpretation, you have guidance for risk assessment, which is what it, what, what it is. It is guidance. Uh, so countries can still do uh, what they want. But there is a gentleman's agreement. So uh, uh, risk assessments between countries do look more and more the same. Uh, there are sometimes, of course, uh, serious divergences because there is a divergence in interpretation of, of, of the data. But uh, we are achieving some sort of uh, convergence. And then there is the, the risk management, which is uh, to some extent out of our scope. We are getting countries to talk to each other, to exchange experience on what they do on risk management. And obviously, there are differences in how chemicals are, are managed from one country to the other. Some countries or some regions like the uh, European Union, they rely more on, uh, on strict uh, restrictions, whereas other countries uh, rely more on, on labeling, on asking consumers and workers uh, to do certain things and not others to ensure that uh, the risks are, are reduced. Let me just play devil's advocate here. I do wonder, given that human beings seem to be on the whole living longer and healthier lives, are the concerns about the chemicals we have in our, in our daily use overblown? Do some environmentalists bang a drum, which they really should be keeping quiet? The strained answer is, I, I don't know. Uh, indeed, we are living healthier lives. And so uh, you, would, you would expect that the impact of chemicals is, uh, uh, is going down. Um, I'm, I'm not sure we have a good handle on whether the risk management measures we have been putting in place over the last uh, 20 years is effective in the sense that uh, it increases our lifespan and our our well-being. 
Uh, we have some indication, we have predictions and estimations, but I think overall, we don't know. On the, on the other hand, you have uh, a rise in uh, chronic uh, diseases, which some of which maybe uh, could be linked back to some uh, types of chemicals. We don't have a good handle on this. That's why I think uh, authorities uh, prefer to err on the, on the side of caution and, and continue to uh, uh, improve their chemical safety legislation and, continue to try to assess more chemicals in, uh, in, in a shorter time. I remember when we were dealing with the REACH legislation in the European Parliament, so 15 years ago, a Swedish minister said to the Environment Committee one day, you know, we have got to stop treating the world like a giant chemistry experiment. Are we still doing that? I would say less and less for two reasons. On the one hand, we know more uh, because of types of legislations like REACH uh, in, in the EU and as well as in other countries. Uh, we know more about chemicals. We know uh, more about the risks of a, a number of chemicals. And the other reason is that more and more countries, including outside of the OECD, are implementing their chemical safety legislation. The United Nations uh, strategic approach to international chemicals management is starting to bear some fruit. Uh, so more and more countries around the world are improving or setting up their uh, chemical safety legislation. Overall, due to that, this chemistry set uh, image is becoming less true. Are there any substances or types of substances that really worry you? Well, one type of chemicals that, uh, let's say, uh, more and more countries around the world are, are getting seriously worried about are what we call per- and polyfluorinated chemicals. Uh, so we call them PFAS. This for, stands for per- and polyfluorinated alkyl substances. This is a family of uh, like up to 5,000 chemicals, some of which have been uh, found to present a risk to uh, human health and the environment, some of which have been regulated, some of which have been replaced by uh, other chemicals uh, in the family, which then also have proven to be uh, problematic. So countries are, are really, really worried that uh, as these chemicals are replaced by other chemicals in, in, in the family, uh, the problem doesn't go away. And so they are looking for ways to uh, address this uh, family of substances in, uh, in a holistic, uh, holistic way. Even though many of those chemicals are not on the market, they are not produced, but they could be and they could replace others. And in the future, they could become a problem in itself. And so countries are looking for ways to group them into a single family and uh, do a risk assessment on them at the same time and determine which are a problem which need to be regulated. But these are 5,000 chemicals, and so uh, testing for their properties or determining their properties is uh, uh, virtually impossible in, uh, in, in a short time. So they're all scrambling to look for better ways to determine the properties of these chemicals and better ways maybe to, uh, uh, to regulate them. So one of the uh, objectives of uh, the uh, new chemical strategy of the EU is to look for ways to uh, regulate chemicals on, based on other considerations than, than a full-blown full blown risk assessment. Uh, are there certain properties and uh, types of uses uh, that we're especially concerned about? And so we just need to determine the properties and then uh, regulate those uses. So much about the European Commission's proposals for a, a new chemicals sustainability strategy sounds very much like the language that was used when the REACH legislation was first proposed. 
now that's been in force for 13 years. What are we doing wrong? Why is that original legislation not succeeding in its objectives? Well, I, I think it is succeeding, but uh, it's it's all gradual thing. I think the REACH legislation made great strides improving the knowledge on many, many, many chemicals. It made great strides in assessing chemicals and then in, in, in regulating chemicals. It has looked into new types of legislative procedures and regulatory procedures uh, which have been successful. It has looked at new types of data generation uh, uh, methods. It has looked at um, new types of uh, decision-making processes that uh, other countries had not uh, yet uh, experienced with. And in that sense, uh, I think it's been a, a, real, a real success. There are other countries who are, who are looking at, uh, at replicating this, for, for example, Korea and Turkey. But as I mentioned, there are 20,000 chemicals which have been registered and the others not. What about those? What about uh, new types of effects like endocrine disruption? So uh, all of those considerations uh, lead to the fact that our, our legislations need to uh, adapt and be reinvented at least every 20 years. So how do you respond when industry complains that in Europe, the regulatory burden is simply too great? And that as a result of the existing legislation, their innovation is being held back? Of course, the legal burden in, uh, in Europe is, is probably higher than, than in other countries. But the OECD has done some studies on the effect of environmental uh, stringency and economic efficiency, which has shown that this was not specific to chemicals. It was uh, uh, specific to uh, environmental obligations. Uh, and it has clearly shown that there's no correlation between uh, uh, environmental regulatory stringency and uh, economic performance. So, of course, uh, individual companies having to do more to comply with uh, legislations, uh, they have the feeling that they're being crushed and pressed. But uh, at the end of the day, the data shows that uh, they're doing as well as uh, companies in, uh, in other countries where the regulatory burden is, uh, is smaller. So from what you've seen of the proposed new chemical sustainability strategy, do you see a, a changed or enhanced role for the OECD in the process? Well, there's a number of things where we hope that there will be enhanced role for the OECD. One proposal is to develop criteria for classifying uh, endocrine disruptors. There is one uh, type of work which is proposed, which is looking for more simple decision mechanisms for uh, regulating chemicals, like uh, expanding the concept of uh, uh, PBT, persistent bioaccumulative and uh, and toxic chemicals towards other types of uh, properties like uh, PMT, persistence, mobility and toxicity, and even maybe uh, just looking for, for taking decisions on uh, chemicals which are very, very persistent. This is something where uh, the EU is clearly the forerunner, and this is something where the OECD could be a platform for discussion. Do you think the whole process of chemicals regulation in Europe has the support of industry? I think one of the recent uh, developments that uh, convinced me that uh, REACH is well accepted now uh, within industry was, was Brexit. When uh, the British uh, chemical industry said that they wanted to keep REACH warts and all, that was clearly for me an indicator that uh, REACH is well accepted. It is uh, a, uh, even a matter of pride to companies that they comply with REACH and they want to market the image of being REACH compliant to the rest of the world. 
One of the key objectives of the proposed new chemical strategy is to reduce the cost of regulation. The intention is to do that by avoiding duplication and having one substance, one assessment. I just wondered whether the OECD might be part of the problem rather than the solution. You know, there's just too many different bodies involved. In the one substance, one evaluation discussion, I mean, the OECD has no role. The, the one substance, one evaluation is about ensuring that uh, the same chemical does not get assessed differently uh, at different times by different regulatory agencies in the same country. It has nothing to do with international organizations uh, interfering, uh, especially as we don't do uh, risk assessments of individual chemicals. Uh, We just do the methodology. Our method development is more a driver for one substance, one evaluation rather than a hurdle. A lot of people are saying, you know, we need to find ways of enabling chemicals to be recycled, to be better reused. We want to develop the circular economy and to some extent the way in which we manufacture chemicals stands in the way of that. Is that a fair criticism? Are we are we able to get smarter? I think yes, although this is quite a slow process. Uh, I mean, the NGO community very often complains that chemistry or the chemicals that are on the market today are are still built around the same dozen uh, chemical building blocks, which is holding up uh, innovation, uh, which is making that the same type of hazards are evident for uh, all the chemicals which are on the market. I think this criticism is still valid to a point. I think indeed moving away from those uh, dozen building blocks to build chemicals is incredibly challenging for for chemical industry. But I think uh, it is slowly happening that the chemical industry is becoming more innovative, is uh, investing more in chemicals that uh, go way beyond uh, the dozen uh, chemical building blocks that we complain about. But that is not something that is going to happen overnight. I mean, it's the same thing with climate change. It involves huge investments. It involves stranded assets and so on. One last question. Do you have any advice for European industry? Should they still invest in making chemicals here? Or would it make, frankly, more financial sense for them to open up production plants in countries where the regulation may be lighter? No, that would not be my advice. I think they are aware that this is not sustainable, simply because the whole global value chain is connected now and producing chemicals cheaper that are not going to be sustainable is not the way to go. The chemicals which are being discussed for regulation today, regulators knew at least five years before that they were going to uh, discuss uh, risk management for those chemicals, which means that industry knew five years in advance that they were going to be on on block. And so one advice that I would have for industry is to be more more proactive in uh, looking for alternatives or banking in on uh, alternatives, investing in alternatives long before the the chemicals actually gets regulated. Thank you so much. Today, you've been listening to me, that's Chris Davis, talking with Bob Diderich of the OECD. Thanks, Bob. Thanks uh, for that fantastic discussion. Listen out for the next of our Chemical Reactions podcasts, which are produced by Rud Pedersen Public Affairs in Brussels. I'll be giving voice to industry and talking with Marcel Halmer, Vice President of Government Relations at Narayan. You'll find it on the Rud Pedersen website and LinkedIn and Twitter pages. Till then... I hope all your own chemical reactions work out well.